Good morning, Central Church. It's great to see you all here this morning on this happy Father's Day. Gotta love the fathers reaching top shelves and lifting heavy things for centuries. Uh, if you're joining us here in person, we're happy you're here. If you're joining us on in television or online, just thank you for spending your time with us here this morning. My name is Nathan Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Outreach here at Central. Um, have any of you uh, or do any of you remember that book, The Five Love Languages? Um, I looked it up. It was written in 1992. The first time I read that, I guess I was eight years old. Like, it's a really old book, and I had forgotten that. If you don't know what the five love languages are, they're these. Uh, it's these things right here. It's words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, quality time, and acts of service. And the point of the book is that every human be- being is kind of uniquely wired to receive love a certain way. And so for some people, they get a gift and they go, oh, cool, it's a gift. And they, they like throw it over to the side. And for other people, they get a gift and they're like, oh my gosh, it's the greatest thing ever. And it just fills up their love tank. Uh, for me, if you write me a card with a sweet note on it, I go, oh, look, it's a, you could have given me $2.50 instead and I could have bought a coffee. <laughs> Um, and, and that's just how people are different. And so the point of the book is, how do you receive love? But also think about the people in your life, the people that you care about, your friends, your family, uh, your significant other. How do they receive love? And the point is that often the way we receive love is not the way that we should be giving love to other people. See, for me, uh, I actually don't have any of those five. I'm kind of a freak. Um, my uh, love language is quantity time. Uh, And so like if you want to just like lay around all day and watch Netflix and eat pizza and not say anything to each other, uh, like I'm really down for that and we can be best friends. My wife though, hers is words of affirmation and physical touch and she made a mistake when she married me. Uh, But I love my wife and so I want to care for her and so once a week I pat her on the shoulder and I say, you are loved. And (laughs) our marriage is thriving. Uh, We're doing really, really well. And so... I want you to keep in the back of your mind, as we jump into John chapter 13 today, I want you to keep in the back of your mind, how do you receive love and how might the people around you need to be loved? I also want you to notice that there are some chairs up here. I'm going to be calling for some volunteers. So I'm going to need five of you to be real brave and remember you're on camera, so don't say any naughty words. Okay, so I'll call you up in a little bit. John chapter 13, if you'll turn there with me. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's a lot of great things about Jesus. I mean, let's be honest, he was Jesus. Uh, But one of the things I really admire about Jesus is that he finished well in the way that he loved the people around him. He loved them well to the end. So many of us are not good at that. We start really well, right? Like things are new, things are exciting, we're learning things about people, we have feelings, and so we, we, we pay attention and we lavish things on them and we start really well and then we just let things fizzle. Or something explodes and we don't wanna put in the work to make it better again and so things end poorly. Jesus, though, Jesus gives an example of what it looks like to finish well. 
And not only to finish well when it's easy, but to finish well during some of the most difficult circumstances that any of us could ever imagine. One of his disciples betrayed him. One of his disciples denied him. The rest of his disciples abandoned him. He was beaten and he was eventually hung on the cross and he died. And knowing that, he still loved his disciples well to the end. Going on in verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. And so the text tells us that not only did Jesus finish well in the way that he loved the disciples, but he also served well in the midst of his relationship with the disciples. Knowing that he was going to be betrayed, he still loved and served well all the way to the end. And you might say, well, that's great for Jesus. He was Jesus. I don't know how I would ever be able to do that. My friend betrays me. They're dead to me. Or that person hurts me. You know what? I don't want them in my life anymore. Or this church member annoys me. I'm going to go sit on the other side of the sanctuary from them. But that's not the example that Jesus gives us. And the reason though that I think that Jesus is able to finish well and serve well in his love is not just because he was Jesus. I think it's something that's attainable for us and we see it in the text. The first reason Jesus was able to do this was because Jesus was secure in his relationship with the Father. Jesus knew that the Father loved him and that he was the Father's son. The second thing that I see in the text here is that Jesus was secure in his place in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew that he would return to the Father and that he would be elevated above all other names and that every, at, the, at his name every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He knew that. He knew he had a place in God's kingdom and he was secure that God loved him and called him son and that he had a part to play. And we are no different if you are a Christian here today, if you're a Christian listening to my voice, you are no different than Jesus in this. You are a son or daughter of God. He has adopted you into his family and he calls you beloved. And he has given you some jobs. Scripture says that we are ambassadors and priests for the kingdom of God. And so because we are secure in our relationship to the Father and we know that we have a place in the kingdom, we can love well to the end like Jesus did and we can serve those, even those who aren't maybe so nice to us, those who don't love us in return so well. Going on it says, He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Uh, Mindy mentioned this last week, and I want to mention it again. When you're reading scripture and something seems super descriptive or maybe a little odd or you just go, huh, you need to be curious about that text. As you read scripture, you need to ask questions of scripture and say, Why? And so as I read these verses, one of the things that I ask is, why all this discussion about clothes? You see, most of the Gospels don't give us any descriptors of Jesus, what he wears, what he looks like, anything like that. 
And John writes at the end of his gospel, he says, there's so many stories I could tell you about Jesus, it would fill a room full of books. And yet he decides to spend several verses here talking about what Jesus is taking on and putting off and doing. And so I have to ask myself, why? Well, I think the reason why is that Jesus is doing something here that has deep roots in the Old Testament and the tradition of the prophets. It's called an enacted parable. You all know about parables. Jesus taught with parables. They're short stories about something, but what the story's about isn't really the point. Parables point to the point. And so when Jesus tells a parable about farming or about pearls or about prodigal sons, those aren't really the point. The point is what the story is pointing to. That's a lot of words over and over again, point, point, point. But hopefully you understand me. An enacted parable is much the same, except it's not a story. An enacted parable is actions, and it's not really about the actions themselves, but what they point to. And there are some crazy examples of this in the Old Testament. Uh, I have some friends sometimes, and they're like, I've got the spiritual gift of prophecy, or I feel like God is calling me to be a prophet. And I say, uh, watch out what you're asking for, because there's this prophet in the Old Testament. His name's Isaiah. You might have heard of him. He's got a really big book. And maybe you've read it. Maybe you haven't. If you've read it, you might have missed this. Uh, Did anybody know that God asked Isaiah to walk around naked for three years? You all know that? God said, Isaiah, I got a job for you. I need you to take off all your clothes and walk around. And the text specifically says, it says, not just naked, but you also need to be barefoot. And it's like, seriously, I couldn't even keep my socks on, God? Like, oh my gosh. And so Isaiah has to walk around for three years embarrassed and uncomfortable. And that's not the point. The point is something else. There's another prophet, his name's Ezekiel. And God goes to Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, I've got a job for you. And Ezekiel's like, uh, okay, God, what is it? And he's like, I need you to lay on your side for like a year. And Ezekiel's like, oh, pretty sweet. Like, do I get to watch Netflix? Like, because if so, Nathan and I are hanging out. We're going to have some quantity time together. He says, I want you to lay on your side for a year, and I want you to cook your food with poop. And Ezekiel's are you serious, God? Like, that's not cool. I don't want to do that. And so Ezekiel cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, please don't make me do this. And our God is a good God. And so our God says, okay, you can cook it with cow dung. He's like, praise the Lord. Amen. And and so he does. He lays on his side for a year, but that's not the point. Like, we're not supposed to do that. And my favorite one is Hosea. Uh, And it's the hardest one. God goes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, I want you to marry this woman named Gomer. And Hosea's like, lovely name. She sounds like a nice woman. Uh, And and he's like, tell me more about her, God. And God says, well, she's a prostitute. (laughs) Excuse me. And he says, oh oh yeah, I want you to marry Hosea. I want you to marry Gomer the prostitute. And she is going to often abandon you. And she is going to go and she's going to have other lovers. And she will never love you the way that you love her. And I want you to chase after her. I want you to seek her and bring her back and continually, no matter what she has done to you, forgive her over and over and over again. And that was what God called Hosea to do with his life. And he said, Hosea, the reason you do this, this enacted parable, the reason you do this is because this is a picture of how I love my people. I love my people deeply and I have married myself to them and yet they continually run from me and cheat on me and yet I will chase after them and I will forgive them, I will pursue them, I will serve them well and love them well to the end. Seems a little bit like what Jesus might be doing for his disciples here. And so back to the close. 
It's not about the clothes. It's not about the foot washing. This all points to something else. What Jesus is doing here is he's taking off his mantle of authority. He's taking off his role as teacher and rabbi, and he's putting on the clothing of a slave. But not just any slave I learned this last week. See, Jewish slaves would not lower themselves to wash someone's feet. That would be beneath them. No Jewish slave would ever do this. What Jesus is actually doing is he's putting on the clothing of a Greek slave, the lowest of the low in Jewish eyes. He puts on the clothing of a Greek slave and he lowers himself to wash the disciples' feet. We're going to skip verses 6 through 11 and jump on down to 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is a hard teaching for Jesus' disciples. No rabbi would ask their disciples to do what Jesus has asked them to do. Jesus has asked them to debase themselves beneath even what a Jewish slave would do all the way to the lowest of the low. And he says, but you can't balk at it because I did it first and I am your master and teacher and Lord. And this is not just a teaching for the disciples because guys, this is some, Jesus knew we were going to read this someday. This is a teaching for us too. Jesus is commanding us. He's saying, I want you to serve in a way that hurts. Sacrificial service. And so sacrificial service may look like what Jesus is commanding here, and that's putting down your pride and saying, I put down my pride and my place and my position, and I will serve someone no matter what the circumstances. Or the sacrificial service may be of your time. And I think time is probably one of the more difficult ones for some of us. Our schedules are so busy. We bill at $500 an hour. And do you know what my time is worth? And Jesus says, so? I'm calling you to sacrifice. Maybe it's your talents. Maybe it's your cash. I don't know what it is. But Jesus says, I command you to do this. And so the question for us is, Are we willing to listen? He goes on and he says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And I know this isn't super obvious in the English, so you'll just have to trust me if you're not a Greek scholar, but that just as I have done is a really important phrase because it tells us that yes, this is maybe an enacted parable. Because if it's not an enacted parable, like let's be honest, how often do you have a chance to wash someone's feet? Like if washing feet is the point, you can kind of go, well, that doesn't come up all that often. Uh, I often actually try to go into my boss's, Tom Rich's office and wash his feet, and he's told me he's going to turn me into HR if I do it again. So, like, if foot washing is the thing, it's easy to just go, well, neat that Jesus did that, but it doesn't really apply to me. But you see here, the phrase is just as I have done and not exactly what I have done. And it makes a big difference in Greek because what it's saying is, just in the spirit of what I have done, I am calling you also to do this thing sacrificial service for I have given oh no so truly truly I say to you in verse 16 truly truly I say to you a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's always nice to know that if we're going to sacrifice, at least we can receive a blessing, right? Uh, The blessing shouldn't be the point, but blessings are nice. Uh, But I want to tell you, this blessing is not health or wealth or any of those kind of things. But I think it's actually a blessing that is better for us to receive than anything like that. The blessing that we receive when we serve and the blessing we receive when we let others serve us. And let's be honest, if we looked at verses 6 through 11, you'd see this, that Peter actually, the harder part for Peter is not the idea of serving others. Peter's like, oh, I can serve people all day long. For Peter, the hard part was letting Jesus serve him. And so for some of you out there, it might not be like, you might be like, oh, I can serve people all day long. I, I got a trailer, I'm moving people every weekend, like it's just my thing. Uh, But then to let someone serve you, to admit that you don't have it all together, to admit that you need other people might be really hard. What happens is when we serve others and we allow others to serve us, we see a lessening of our pride. We see a lessening of our selfishness. And when our pride and our selfishness is pushed down, we are actually able to live more fully human in the way that God intended us to be. We are able to be more like Jesus Christ himself. And so that is the blessing that we receive if we will do these things like Jesus did them. Come on down with me in the text, chapter 13. Skip on down to verses 34 and 35. I think Jesus puts a nice bow on this for us in verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Something I want you to notice, I know I'm the outreach and missions pastor, and so often you hear me talking about, you know, go to Pettigrew Heights, go to Ethiopia, go to the lost people in your relational world and share Jesus with them. But what today's text is actually about is, it's about serving the people in this room. It's about you thinking about the 930 service that I always go to and the thousand other people that are in this room, or if you're at home, the person on the couch next to you, whatever your church looks like in its local context, How can I love and radically serve those people? How can I build up and care for my fellow Christians? And what the text tells us is, is that that is actually God's mission strategy. Love is God's mission strategy. When the people of God love and serve each other well, the world is radically changed. And it's, it's not about feelings. I just want you to know that. When he commands people to love, he's not commanding you to catch the feels for the person down the aisle from you. Because that's not how feelings work, right? And God created feelings. So Jesus knows what he's talking about here when he says, I command you to love one another. Because you can't command a feeling, but you can command some other things that are loving. And I think if we look back to the enacted parable of the washing of the disciples' feet, the thing that Jesus is commanding us to do for one another is sacrificial service. Service that costs, service that edifies, that builds up the body of Christ. And if we, the church, 
would compete with one another to try to outdo each other in love and service, what happens is the world is changed. The winner isn't like the guy who can serve the best. The winner is those people who don't know Jesus because when they see us care for each other well, they see Christ in us and their lives are transformed. If you don't believe me, let me just tell you how this worked out in the second and third century when the church was just getting started, when the church really took this command seriously. There's this guy named Tertullian. He was in the second century. I'm sure you've all read his books and already familiar, but I'll remind you. Um, Tertullian, what he did is he said, he said, what's different about the church? Because we can see that something different is happening here because Christianity was spreading like crazy. And so he went to non-Christians and he asked him, he said, he said, for you, he said, when you think of Christianity, what do you think of what's different about the church? And what these non-Christians in the second century said is you people are crazy. You people love each other even unto death. You're willing to die for each other. That's how much you care about one another. It's crazy and I want it. It's crazy and it's exactly what's been missing in my life. There's a secular historian. His name's E.B. Dodds. So this guy's not a Christian. His name's E.B. Dodds and he studied Christianity in the second and third century to see how was it possible that this brand new religion was able to spread all across the Roman Empire. Different cultures, different climates, didn't matter. Christianity spread by the third century AD, had spread all across the empire. And he said, how is this possible? And so he went back and he looked at historical texts and he studied and he said, there's only one thing that shows why this was possible and it's because Christians loved each other well. And it's exactly what the world needed. Love, sacrificial love is God's mission strategy. John wrote a couple other books. I want you to turn to one of them with me now. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verses 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives For the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. All right, now comes the time. I need my five volunteers. Five of you, come on down. Come on up. I'm not washing your feet, just in case you're wondering, so there's that. Five people. I will come out there and grab you. Come on, just come on. Come on, five people. One, two, three, four, and five. All right, y'all sit down over here. So that's my seat. No, you go over there. You can't have my chair. All right. Oh no, we had one extra. Oh. Can I sit there anyways? You can, no. You lose. Find me later and I'll bless you with something. All right, I want you to say your name and how long you've, come to cent- you've been coming to Central. My name is Pauline. I've been coming maybe like five days. F- okay, so brand new. All right, pa- pass the mic down. Brand new. Some of y'all were chickens. 
and she's brand new, and there you go. My name is Christian, and I've been coming here for probably like 15 months. Okay, welcome. Uh, my name's Cooper, I've been coming here for a few weeks. A few weeks, another newbie, okay. My name is Lucy, I've been coming here for a few weeks as well. Okay. My name is Kristen, I've been coming here almost two years. Almost two years, okay, you hold this mic too. Okay, so y'all can kind of pass the mics back and forth, you got two of them there. Got a couple questions for y'all, they were in the bulletin, so maybe you'd already thought about them. Um, what is your love language? How do you receive love? We'll throw them back up on the screen so you can be reminded real quick. How do you receive love personally? Just anybody jump in. Like, what's your way? My love language. I love to give. Um, okay. So toys you, for Todd. I've been doing it for like 12 years or okay. 13 years. So you love to give, which I'm guessing you also, do you also love to receive? Yes, okay. but I, I prefer to give. Okay. All right. Mine is quality time. Quality time. Words of affirmation. You are awesome. I just want you to know that. Okay. That was a stretch for me personally, just to say those things. Yes. Um, I say mine is physical touch. Okay. And? Uh, receiving gifts. Receiving gifts. There's a man who knows what he wants. I'm going to bless you in just a little bit. You're going to like it. What is the most loving thing that you can remember that someone has done for you? Or like top five, it doesn't have to be the most, like don't put too much pressure on it. Something that someone has done and you're like, wow, that really made me feel cared for. I had a doctor's appointment a couple of years ago and it wasn't, it was a scary doctor's appointment and my best friend texted me the day of and she goes, I'm gonna be there, I can't go back with you, but I'll be there in the waiting room and that was... Hmm. A big that, thing for that me. presence, thinking of you, putting, making time for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, somebody else. What's a way? I'm guessing you as some Christmas present, probably, or what? No. Okay. <laughs> What's a way? Yeah, you got one. So I'm a teacher, and sometimes I get more students. So like, write me a little note, and it's just like, oh. Okay. So you like the cards, unlike me. Okay, excellent. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? What's a way that you really felt loved? Nobody else has anything. That's it. Yes, do you got one? Well, um, I never been out of California, so when um, the guy I went with um, decided we're going to go to South Dakota for my dream school, that's it. I don't even, I never been out of California. I'm like, how, how long are we going to be in the car or whatever? It's like, you know, like your biggest dream? I'm like, sure. oh my God. So just being there with you, taking this journey with you. Yeah. Welcome to South Dakota. Yeah. The winters are awful. You'll hate it. Um, <laughs> I'm from Texas, so I should know. What are some ways that we could love another person in this room really well? Got any ideas? Um, well, if you really know the person, getting to know them, learning about them, then you could figure out something that would mean a lot to them. Sure. And really go out of your way for it. And that is one of the keys to all of this. You have to know the person. You have to have seen the person. Like random acts of kindness are okay, but sacrificial love, the way that Jesus is talking about, church, we have to get to know each other. We have to figure out ways to make this big church feel small so that we can radically love one another, not just so that we feel better about this, but so that the world is changed. Does anyone else have any ideas? It's by new people at church. Yes. And in this room, every...
don't know them. So yeah, mixing it up, moving around, introducing yourself is really good. Uh, somebody thought of this one and the other one. Uh, you could buy random coffee drinks out there and then just like give them out to somebody. Like, hey man, I just wanted to bless you today. Just thanks for being at church. Would that be cool? All right, what's another idea? Has anybody got one more for us? Words of affirmation guy, you think you could come up with something? Just tell people nice things. Tell people nice things. Amen. Thank you, so, you guys. I've got something for you. Hold on. They're not. Ah, the gifts guy is going to like this. Um, this is a $100 gift card. And I want you to figure out a way that you can bless someone that goes to this church. I want you to get super creative. So this is the challenge for you. You do get 100 bucks, but it's not just to put in your purse and forget about it for a year and then pull it out and go, wow, I'm rich. Um, I want you by July 12th to come to me. That's when I get back from vacation. So come holler at me sometime that week uh, and say, this is the way I radically bless someone. Or if you're really struggling with it, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna brainstorm together because when the church loves each other well, we are all, we all benefit from that. So thank you so much, guys, for volunteering. Y'all give them a round of applause. <clears throat> Just know this, the next time I ask for volunteers, you might want to come up because I might give you 100 bucks. So doing a little training. <clears throat> guys. There are enough of us that attend Central Church that if we were taking Jesus' example seriously and we were leaving margins in our schedule and margins in our budget and margins you know, across all of our life to radically serve each other, to radically serve the body of Christ, not just so that we are built up. There are enough of us that Sioux Falls, South Dakota would be changed forever for, the, for Christ. Uh, let's be honest. We reach into every neighborhood, every business, every pocket of this city. And so let's take Jesus's challenge to sacrificially give of ourselves, to really see people and to love them, not the way that we wanna be loved, but the way that they need to be loved. Let's take Jesus's challenge seriously. And let's push ourselves that for all of us, even if you didn't get a $100 gift card today, that by July 12th, I want you guys reaching out to me and saying, Nathan, I took the challenge of Jesus seriously, and here is how I was able to love someone well. Will you pray with me? God, I, I thank you for what you're going to do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you inspire us. God, give us supernatural clarity as we see our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, help us take the time to really get to know each other and love each other well, God, so that we can follow your command to love through service. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Don't forget to drop your prayer requests there in the back. Uh, we've got some uh, frontline ministry people who uh, will be coming down front. They have yellow lanyards on. And if you need someone to pray with you, if you just got something burdening your heart, or maybe you want to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, these people up front after the service with the yellow lanyards would love to talk with you and pray with you.
Uh, so I want to hear from those people that I gave the gift cards by July 12th, but I also want to challenge the rest of you. I want my inbox flooded from when I get back from vacation on July 12th of stories of, of how you have loved and served those around you. Have you seen people and you've cared for people well? It says in Isaiah and in the book of Romans, so it's twice in scripture, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's a really weird saying. And I want to say that maybe God knew something whenever he added that into scripture. And maybe he knew one of the things Jesus was going to do was wash the disciples' feet. And that maybe his church then needed to understand that we need to wash each other's feet. We need to radically serve each other so that when we go outside those doors, our feet will be beautiful as we bring the good news and the world will say, there's something different about you. There's something that draws me to you. And you can say, that thing is Jesus. Let me tell you about it. That's my challenge to you. With beautiful feet, leave this place and take the good news wherever you go. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed.